The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Jacob asked me to, uh, to speak to you on the subject of, of prayer and the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to more, more specifically talk to you about praying for the Holy Spirit, praying uh, for the Holy Spirit. Um, so let me begin with, with prayer. Father, we ask in Jesus' name now, uh, you know everyone who's here tonight. Uh, you know everything about us. You know our background. You know where we come from. Uh, you know all the stuff that goes on inside our head that we don't talk about to anybody. Um, you know our struggles. You know our fears. You know our hopes, our longings. Um, Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you will uh, meet people tonight through your word and through the, through the Holy Spirit as we speak of him. We don't want him just to be a, a concept. We want his personal ministry among us as we speak about him. We ask for that. Um, pray for that wonderful secret work of, of God that only you can do. Um, and we pray this for your glory and for our good in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about 33 years ago, I was uh, sitting in the living room of the man who would eventually become my spiritual father and mentor. Um, I had asked him several months earlier to teach me about the Holy Spirit. And the day finally came when we came to the lesson that I had been waiting for. And I will never forget what happened that day. Uh, he explained things to me. I remember where I was sitting. Um, he explained things to me about the Holy Spirit and the life of Christ and his application to us. Um, and I, I remember sitting there, and, and, and it almost felt like heaven's door was open. I felt like I was uh, hearing things for the very first time. I had already just been through seminary. I had studied this, and it was, I was hearing things that I'd never heard before. Um, I'd been raised in church, like I said. My dad was a pastor. Uh, but no one had ever explained what I was hearing. The, 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 the part that the Holy Spirit actually could play in my life day to day. Um, uh, without a word of a lie, it was one of the most hope-filled and faith-building moments of my life. I would have to say from that day forward... Um, the Holy Spirit went from being a doctrine that I had believed, something that I believed was true, uh, to a life-changing relationship that I actually experienced. Um, so, this is what I'm going to do today. I'm going to pass on to you the essence of what he passed on to me 33 years ago. And my prayer is that uh, what we go over tonight together will do the same thing for you as it did for me, which is inject hope into your life and faith, uh, um, the faith that really kind of pulls me forward. You know, there's a huge difference between um, rowing a big boat and, and sitting in the boat with a sail. Uh, it's all the difference in the world. And uh, I really hope that some of you go from rowing in your Christian life to, to experiencing what it's like to have wind in the sails. So if you could open your Bibles to John 14. John 14, 12 to 14. John 14, 12 to 14. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Fourth book in in the New Testament. Uh, 
chapter 14. And I will read uh, these three verses together. These three verses for you, rather. You listen. John 14, verses 12 to 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So what we're going to discover as we kind of work through these three short verses is that Jesus continues his powerful work through us when we pray. It's as simple as that. Jesus continues the powerful things he started. He continues them on now through us when we pray. My outline's real simple. I'm a simple guy. Simple outline. The promise of power in verse 12 and the prayer for power in verses 13 and 14. So let's begin with the promise of power. Look at verse 12 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Now notice the two words, truly, truly, at the very beginning of verse 12. That, that introduces a very significant thought. Everything that Jesus said was significant. But there were certain times when he spoke where he said, truly, truly. Actually, the word behind that is amen and amen. Uh, it means you can count on this. This is for sure true. I'm about to say something that's going to kind of rock your boat. You're not going to think that I really mean it. Truly, truly. He, he pre prefaced those, those words before things that were, were, were hard things to swallow. And, and wow, verse 12 seems pretty impossible to swallow. So in order to understand what Jesus is saying in verse 12, we have to answer two questions. The first question is, what are these works that Jesus speaks about? Because he's connecting us to his works. What, what is he talking about here? What, what works? And secondly, how did Jesus do these works that he talks about? And that's not as obvious a question as it seems. Okay, so let's begin with what are the works that Jesus speaks about here. Well, all the way through the book of John in particular, it emphasizes these, these works that, that Jesus does. These, and, and the works are, are powerful manifestations. Oftentimes, they're healings or exorcisms or just things that demonstrate the power of God in a powerful way. But they're not just kind of wonder works, but there are, they are things that in a special way point to Jesus. They, they, the, these works in the book of John are not just things that, that get your attention. They're not just bell ringers. Hey, pay attention here. Something important's happening. But, but they actually are themselves mini messages. They're kind of a visual, powerful, alarming, get your attention messages in themselves. Uh, they, they reveal, each of these works that we find in the Gospel of John, they, they reveal people's inability to solve their deepest problems and our utter dependence on God to work. So, so people who were demonized could not undemonize themselves. They were utterly dependent on something outside themselves to deliver them. Um, uh, people who were lame, uh, people who are blind, people who are dead, people who are spiritually dead, 
people who are addicted. The, you, you, you need something outside yourself to free you because you are in chains. And that's what these works do. They, they speak this. They, every single thing that you encounter, whenever you see a blind man getting his sight back, is saying that he can't do this by himself. He needs salvation, powerful salvation from the outside to help him. These works revealed God. Not just the power of God, but they actually showed that God was, had somehow invaded our world and he was starting to roll back the effects of sin and the curse in the world. They, they are themselves small, powerful, small acts of deliverance. Every time you see a work of Christ in, in, in the Gospels, it's, it's a deliverance that ultimately is all lining up and pointing to the great deliverance that we would get at the cross. Uh, in, in other words, the, these works that Jesus is speaking of in verse 12 here, they, they, they are really showing to us uh, loudly. They're a megaphone that, that, that shout out to us that we don't, we don't have the ability to, to help ourselves in the, in the biggest areas of our lives. Our, our utter inability and God's profound ability. God's ability, our inability. In other words, you encounter these works, these, these messages about ourselves and God, they, they wean us away from self-trust to trusting in Christ. They, they encourage faith. And they bring a sense of the immediacy of God's presence so that others are, are drawn to what's going on. So, in verse 12, it describes nothing less than Jesus carrying on his work. He's, he's going to continue doing his work through those who believe in him. Doing his work his way. Now, look again at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. I mean, that's startling enough. And greater works than these will he do. That's, that's like off the chart. Because I'm going to the Father. When Jesus says that we will do even greater works than, than he did, he couldn't possibly mean that we're going to do more spectacular works than him. I mean, that's unthinkable. I mean, he walked on the water. He turned the water to wine. Uh, it, it's actually clear in other places in Scripture. You always have to compare Scripture with Scriptures, right? It's clear in other places of Scripture that there are things that, that Jesus did that uniquely showed that he was the Messiah of God. He did some things that because he did them, it was, he was the Messiah. So it couldn't mean that we did, we're going to do stuff that's more spectacular or even on the same level of spectacular as him. We see what he means in verse 12 when we look at the book of Acts and see what was happening there. Um, at the end of Jesus' ministry, after he ascended into heaven, what do we have? We have 120 frightened people praying in an upper room. That was the fruit of three years of Jesus' labor. The Son of God, who did all these amazing works and said all these amazing things, you got 120 people who are frightened out of their mind in an upper room. But at Pentecost, an ordinary fisherman that wasn't tr highly trained, didn't have a high education, he preaches a message and 3,000 people are saved. 
Now, that's greater works, my friends. That's greater works. That's right there. So, so verse 12 is talking not about believers doing miracles that are exactly like Jesus or beyond him. He's saying that we're, we're going to do things on a scope. There's going to be a scope of ministry that, that Jesus never experienced in his whole, his whole ministry life. We're going we're gonna to carry on the work. We're going to build a church. You're actually part of this greater work. Here we are 2,000 years later, and guess what? In Manchester, people are listening to somebody opening the Bible. Like 2,000 years later. And, and congregations like this are scattered all around the world. I mean, that's greater works. Um, it's, it's this wonderful work where, where God is going to, through us, carry on what Jesus did and, and build, build his church. Bring people to Christ and help them to become more and more like him. Okay? So that's what the works are. Works are, are messages about Jesus and our need of deliverance and somehow us getting in on that. Where, where the scope of them, it, it just opens up. Now, the second question is, how then did Jesus do these works that he says we will be able to do? This is really important. And this was the thing that blew my mind that day 33 years ago. So this was the part that no one had ever explained to me before. Uh, this is, a, I feel, a life-changing truth. I've shared this with literally hundreds of men over the years, and women, but a lot of men in one-to-one -one encounters. Um, and this has been something that I've seen really change people. So if you could open your Bible to, we're going to come back to John 14, but flip over a, a few chapters to John 7. John chapter 7. If you don't have your Bible, just listen. John 7. 14 and 15. And it says this. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Um, how would you answer that question? How is it that Jesus knew so much? I mean, Kids in the synagogue would get a bit of an education, but how did Jesus know stuff? He knew stuff that they didn't teach in the synagogue. He, didn't have a, he never had a formal education. He was not educated like Paul. How did he know so much? Well, a lot of Christians who've been raised in church would answer it this way. Well, he knew so much because he was God. He knew, knew, he knew all that because he's God, of course. But that's the wrong answer. He was God, but that's the wrong answer. Look what Jesus said in verse 16. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. In other words, when Jesus was teaching, all the time that Jesus was teaching all the way through the Gospels, when he's, he's, he's giving them these amazing thoughts about God and God's kingdom, He's not teaching them out of his own intrinsic deity. He's not relying on his own intrinsic deity when he teaches that. But rather, he's teaching it in reliance on his father. I mean, have you ever thought about why did Jesus pray? 
Why? Why would he pray? Let me show you four remarkable little verses that I think give us a snapshot of how Jesus functioned as he walked on the earth. This is, this is I think, is life-transforming, this truth. Do you remember when Jesus unveiled who he was in, in, in Nazareth? You know, he had been raised in Nazareth. You know, he'd been, he'd been there for years. They knew him, you know. Um, and he walked in. He walked into Nazareth, into the synagogue, and, and he went up to the front and he unveiled the Isaiah scroll, it says in Luke 4. And as you know, Isaiah, Isaiah's got tons of stuff about the Messiah. You know, he could have chosen tons of stuff. If he's going to kind of have like a, a coming out party about who he really is, you know, uh, what passages he's going to, I'd, I'd have chosen tons of passages for him. Isaiah 53. Instead, what he does is he takes a passage from Isaiah 61. And this is what he says. He opens it up and it says he found the place where it was said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So what Jesus said is, I'll tell you who I am. And when he said, he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says, I'm the one, I'll tell you who I am. I identify myself as the one that the spirit is on. I'm the anointed one. I'm the Christ, the christened one, the one the spirit is upon. Listen to this passage from Matthew 12, 28. Jesus is talking about how he had the power to, to exercise demons out of people. And he says this, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How did Jesus cast out demons? Not on the basis of the power of his own intrinsic deity. He was fully God. But he says, that's not how it, he doesn't say because I'm the son of God, I do this. He said, I do this by the spirit of God. By depending on the power of the Holy Spirit, because he was the Christ, the anointed one, he was able to cast out demons. Here's another amazing uh, verse um, from Acts 1 verse 2. I think this verse is very significant because now Jesus has been raised from the dead in a glorified body. Uh, it's just a little while before he ascends into heaven, okay? And it says this. He starts to give instructions. And it says, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So as he's giving instructions and commands to his disciples, how is he doing that? He's still doing it through the Holy Spirit, it's astonishing. You see, Jesus functioned. This is, this is, I'm telling you, this is, I had never heard this before. Jesus functioned as a spirit-filled man. The way Jesus lived, he lived as a spirit-filled man. He gives commands through the Holy Spirit. He doesn't function. Does it, it, for, for the most part, sometimes there's things that are uniquely uniquely where he shines out as the son of God. So when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember? He went up there, and then just for a brief moment, whoosh, you know, there's brilliance all around, and, and now deity is just shining out, right? But after that, whoosh, it comes back in again, and he goes down and 
kids, kids come up to them and nobody's afraid of them. Nobody's falling down like they're falling down. Like you remember when they were when they, when they beat Jesus on the way to the cross, the Romans, they weren't afraid of him when they did that. But, a, but, a, but a, and an angel shows up at the tomb and they fall down like dead people. And that was just an angel. You know, he was, his, his glory was contained and, and concealed. Let me show you another passage. I remember this was the passage in particular where I just felt like it all came together for me. Acts 10, 38. It's kind of like a summary, summary statement of how Jesus lived his whole life. It's like the Reader's Digest version of the Reader's Digest version of the Reader's Digest version. Right, it's just a compressed file right down to his bare essentials. And this is what it says, <clears throat> how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. This is how he lived. He lived as a spirit-filled man on the earth. He was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and power. Now, turn back in your Bible to John 14 in our passage. Let me read verse 12 again. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works then these will he do because I am going to the Father. Well, what does that mean? He says, because I'm going to the Father, you're going to be able to somehow get in on how I have functioned. Well, we find out what this going to the Father means in the book of Acts. In Acts 2, 32 and 33, uh, when Peter was having his great message at the day of Pentecost, when all these people were being converted and coming to Christ, he said this, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So do you get this? Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Uh, he is saying this amazing truth. He says, the way I lived my life as, as a man on the earth, I lived my life not out of the power of my own intrinsic deity. I concealed that. How he did that was, is a mystery. I live my life as a spirit-filled man. I am the Christ, the anointed one. You see? That's the way I lived then I ascended to the Father, and now the same Holy Spirit that was at work in the life of Jesus, he now gives to the church, you see, to be active in our life. The Spirit that empowered Jesus is the Spirit that is given to us to empower us. Absolutely, there were some things that are dissimilar between the anointing of Jesus and us, okay? The Bible tells us in John 3 that, that Jesus was given the Spirit without measure. There was, there was, he was full, filled with the Spirit on, the, on a level that is, is highest that you could ever imagine. And that's not true of us. 
there are things that are unrepeatable about the anointing of Jesus that uniquely set him apart as being the Messiah. And yet, make no mistake, the, the spirit that was at work in Jesus is the spirit that is available and given to us to be at work in our life. It's not like Jesus had like a grade A Holy Spirit and we get, you know, a different level of Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit that is given to the church and is given to his people. Absolutely, the Holy Spirit is the, the first and the greatest gift that comes to us from the cross. I've often reminded our church, what is the great thing that we get through the gospel? I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's, it's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm the biggest sinner I know. And I'm not saying that to try to pretend to be humble or something like that. I live with my, my thoughts. I live with my life. I know. I don't know you. I can... I can be pretty sure I'm a huge sinner. And let me tell you, forgiveness is amazing to me because I've committed a lot of sin in my life. So forgiveness is, is an amazing gift through, through the gospel, but that is not the best gift of the gospel. The best gift of the gospel is not that getting rid of the, the thing that was between me and God. The best gift is God himself. The, the, the gospel gives me God. I get the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. In Galatians, it says that, that, that the curse, the curse fell on Jesus when he was on the cross so that we could get the blessing of the Spirit. He gets cursed, we get blessed. And the blessing is the Holy Spirit. Jesus continues his work on earth through us by the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled him. Verse 12, whatever problem you have with it, okay, and I struggle with it too. I look at it and I go, well, you know, I don't know. Lord, this seems like a little over, this seems like a little over the top promise. But whatever it is saying, it is surely saying this. Jesus is saying, there is a connection between how I lived and you lived. And it's the Holy Spirit. It's a promise of the Spirit. Verse 12 is the promise of, of, of giving us the Holy Spirit to live like Jesus. It's a wonderful promise, but the problem is it doesn't seem to be working very well, does it? I mean, what's wrong? Um, seems like just it's a theory message because what I just explained doesn't seem to be the way it is. If Jesus gives us this amazing promise, and he did, preface it with a truly, truly, because he knew he would say, uh, I don't know about that. Why is it that so many of us uh, feel very little connection in our life to the way Jesus lived? Um, this promise of the Spirit is, is, is awesome, but how is it that, that it, it doesn't seem to be working? Well, it's not automatic. It's not automatic. It's a conditional promise. We know that from the next two verses. So we go from the promise of power in verse 12 to the prayer for power in verse 13 and 14. Right after he says this amazing promise, he says right away in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus clearly uh, ties the power of the Holy Spirit to prayer. There's an unmistakable connection here. No prayer, no power. Uh, I, I don't understand... If you ask me, I just had somebody just gave a prayer seminar at the Gospel Coalition before I came here, and one of the questions after I gave it was, you know, if God's sovereign and can do anything he wants, why pray? What's, what's the point? I don't know. God could do it all without us. He doesn't need us to do anything. But somehow he is connected uh, much, and I would say even most, of his activity to, to prayer. We, we have got to do stuff. God could do like he did to the Apostle Paul and just have a little Damascus road and just reveal himself from heaven. He could do that to every person on earth. But he doesn't. Most of us didn't come to Christ that way. I'd be surprised if any of us came to Christ that way. Most of us heard it from somebody else. Somebody told us. He expected another person to do the delivery, to be the mailman. God has tied so much of his activity to prayer. It's not like people talk about the power of prayer. There's no power in prayer. The power is in God. But prayer is the conduit. It's like, it's like faith. Faith is the conduit where we get in on what God has said he will do. We are to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit and we we, we experience that in our life in a real way through prayer. Now, I can anticipate one of the things that might be coming to your mind and say, well, you're, you're saying that we, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit. Well, I thought the Christian already had it, the Holy Spirit. When I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in me. What's all this stuff about praying for the Holy Spirit? Well, that's, that's a good question. So let me... Let me give you an illustration. And, and, and this is one of the best illustrations that I've ever seen about this. It helped me a lot. I'm a simple guy. I'm visual. Um, let this glove represent us, you, me. And let my hand represent the Holy Spirit. Now, if I stick my hand in just as a, as a fist into the glove, okay? Well, it's in the glove. But if I were to shake your hand, you'd be weirded out, okay? It's not, not a really normal handshake there. I can't write anything with that. I'd have a hard time steering a steering wheel with it. I can, I can do some things, a few things. But I can't do very much. Can't shoot a basket. But if I were to take my fingers and put two of my fingers in, well, now I can do a little bit more than I could just with just the fist in there, see? There's still a lot I can't do, you know. It'd be hard for me to have an arm wrestle with you with just two fingers, see. But then if I take all the fingers and put it in there, now the glove expresses everything that my hand does. And if I got a strong handshake, you're going to feel the strength of my handshake through the glove. You see that the glove now is expressing the hand because it's filling it. See, there's a, there's, there's a huge difference between being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, having the fist and the glove, as it were, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. The question for us is, 
If you are a believer in Christ tonight, if you put your faith in Christ, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible promises us. The Holy Spirit comes and actually dwells within us. But I think many Christians, uh, the, the, we're indwelt but not filled. We've just got a fist in the glove. We wonder why it's not functioning right. It doesn't seem right. When you read the book of Acts, when things were really happening, it was always because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, which meant that a lot of the time they weren't. They, it was when they were filled that things happened. You look at, read in Acts 4 where it says they are, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Why is it that we're, we're so afraid to talk about Christ most of the time? Because we're not filled. Uh, it's, it's not a matter of evangelism training or, or just being a man and, and toughening up and sucking it up and being, being strong. No, we're, we're all natural born cowards. We need boldness that only the Spirit can give us. And the scripture tells us here that we get, we get the, we, we receive the Spirit's filling in our life, which is what Jesus did. Jesus, Jesus lived a Spirit-filled life, not just a Spirit-indwelt life. We, we receive that, that filling through prayer, by asking for the Spirit. So let me present to you one application of what I've just said to you and suggest uh, three different ways that you can live this out in your life. I mean, there's w way more than three, but let me just give you three. But here's the main piece, the main application. I believe that God wants us to pray bigger, bolder prayers. When was the last time you prayed for, for something really hard? A really tough thing. You know, I think sometimes Christians are, are guilty of, of praying safe prayers. We're kind of trying to protect God's reputation. You know, God might look bad if he doesn't come through on this, so I'll make it easy for God. You know, don't, don't make it too hard. Lower the bar. No, 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 no. Lower the bar a little bit, a little bit farther down. Yeah, a little farther. Oh, I think God can jump that one. Yeah. Okay, God, would you jump that bar for me, please? Um, we, we need to, to pray prayers in line with scripture, because I think you can pray crazy prayers that have no bearing on, on the Bible or his promises. But we need to pray prayers that, that can't possibly be answered without the giving of the, of the Holy Spirit. And we do this, we do this in our church. Um, we have uh, prayer ministry teams and, and we, we'll, we'll pray over people. And especially we pray for people who are have, uh, there are some people that have d deep struggles with depression. Like, I mean, it's just a darkness that comes over them and they can't get out of it. Um, other times it's people who have just like, their, their, their thoughts are uh, racing thoughts or people have terrible panic attacks or, or, or they just seem to be, they seem to be controlled by certain certain sins. I mean, it just, it, it's not just that they do stuff. It's like they're controlled by it. Like they're a slave and they know it. Um, how do you, how do people like that break free? Yeah, they got to read their Bible and they got to do stuff and all that. But man, some, sometimes people need, they need power. They need something to yank them free spiritually. Uh, Arturo Azudia. I hope I said that right. Um, 
he, he regularly challenges his people with the following question. What are you asking God to do that only God can do so that when he does it, only he gets the glory for it? What are you asking God to do that only God can do so that when he does it, only he gets the glory for it? So let me just suggest three ways we can do this. Uh, things we just don't pray enough about, I don't think. Number one is start praying for God to send revival to you. Do you know what revival is? Where, where God starts to just, just brings you alive. It's like, it's like someone who's, who's lying down and is, is just a little bit of breath coming out of their... They're just barely breathing. They're barely alive. And all of a sudden they, they come alive and they sit up. And they get down, and they start running. You know, you go, what's going on here? I mean, that's revival. That's, they've been revived. Something happened. You know, spiritually speaking, there's a lot of Christians that are just like they're on the table, and they're just, they're just a little bit of mist coming out of there. You, you know they're not dead yet, but it, man, not a lot happened there. Um, and that's true also of churches. Churches can be barely breathing, that's a big request that only God can answer. Um, you know, I, I uh, this is the first time, I actually have been here, I was in the Rhode Island area 20 years ago, but this is the second time I've really been in this area. This is, like, this is the New England area. This is where the Great Awakening happened. You know? I mean, that's one of the greatest spiritual revivals of all time. Happened in your area. You know? I was in Switzerland last year with my wife for our 30th wedding anniversary. It was a real special thing. We got special deals, and we had saved up for a long time, but it was still amazing that we, were able, we, knew, we knew somebody. I'm, I'm in Switzerland where, the, where, where, where Calvin, John Calvin, and, and the great revival, uh, the great uh, reformation took place, and it is dead there. It is spiritually dead. God could bring it back again. Listen to this one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down that He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers. You know, that, that wonderful thing. If, uh, we've got farmers in our church there. Wow, I'll tell you, you need the rain. You can do an awful lot on a farm. You know, even nowadays with big farms, you can irrigate. But after a while, you can't even irrigate if there's no, no water. You just need that rain from heaven. Wow, is it ever good to have that rain from heaven because everything can happen. You know, right, right behind our house is the, the Cross Canada Trail. Cross Canada Trail is the largest walking trail in the world, 16,000 kilometers, which is about, I don't know, 13,000 miles. Okay, it winds right across Canada. It's just like literally about uh, two blocks behind my house, um, part of it. And I go out there after uh, winter, in the early spring, 
And I'm always amazed how dead everything is. I mean, everything is dead, brown, nothing's happening. Um, nothing on the, le- on the trees, you know, only the evergreens are there, but everything else is dead looking. And then it starts to rain in the spring. It starts to rain. And after about one or two or three, three rains, I go out again, and it's amazing. All of a sudden, there's green all over the trees and, and, and the grass is growing up green. Everything, everything is coming alive. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. So that'd be one category. It's a big one. Praying for God to bring revival to your own life. Reviving you. Let me just tell you this also. You know, I'm 53. And I remember somebody told me years ago that he said somewhere between 40 and 50, something happens with people where you kind of get comfortable. You kind of just get, you just, you decide you don't want to make, make big sacrifices anymore. Uh, you, you just, it happens very slowly. You just like comfort more. And you slowly start to just kind of ease into a, a, a life. In the Christian life, it's easy, just ease into a life that's just easier, easy for, easier for you. You know, it's not perfect, but it, it's just easier. I've felt that struggle a lot in the last few years. So you need to stir yourself up to seek this. Number two, another category of how to ask God for big things is pray for boldness in witness. You know, I, I'll tell you, in, in, in opportunities to share my faith with people, I'm lousy at it. I'm a natural-born coward. This is what I found over the years. When I pray uh, for, the, for God to give me the Holy Spirit and to help me in witness, I find he gives me courage I just don't have, number one. Number two, I, when I pray for opportunities, I find that there's all kinds of opportunities in my life. When I'm not praying for opportunities, there's zero. And if they're there, I'm just not noticing them. So I've just found this repeatedly over the years. When I'm regularly praying for God to give me opportunities, boom, they're there all over the place. When I'm not praying, guess what? They're not happening. Praying for boldness in witness to unbelievers, praying for opportunities. And we were talking a little bit about this in the car on the way up here. The great barrier in evangelism is not the coldness and apathy of the unbeliever. I mean, we live in a, in a, I know you're living in New England. Let me, trust me, I understand New England because I live in Canada. And Canada's worse than New England. We're like, we're more like Europe. We're 20 years ahead of you. You're like us. You're, I know this is a very secular part of the United States. Um, but the, 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 the New Testament, the, it wasn't any better than it is now. <laughs> the, the, it was tough back then, what was going on. And that's where the church grew in that, in that ground because God was giving ordinary people, just like you and me, the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. It says in Acts 4, when they had prayed, there's the condition part. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered, so they prayed together collectively, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. So, category two, 
Pray for boldness. Pray for opportunities. If you pray for this, you'd be amazed what God starts to do. And number three, this is a category that you may have never thought about, hugely important to the, to the, to the, to the way churches go. Pray for the Holy Spirit's work through your pastor. Uh, pray for your pastor. You know, my dad uh, told me this years ago when we were in Japan. He said, Tim, do you realize that the most prayed for people on the planet are missionaries? And you know what? When we were in, when we were in, when we were in uh, Japan doing church planting, we had tons of people praying for us. People praying for our family, people praying for our marriage, people praying for protection, people for protection against sin, for fruitfulness. We, we had people telling us all the time that they were praying for us. When I came back here and started being a pastor, I realized, wow, people aren't praying for me, you know? And the pastor's supposed to be the guy that's doing well. Why would you bother praying for him? Pray for the problems. Don't pray for the pastor. No, pray for the pastor. Uh, one of the things that will make the biggest difference in this church long-term will, will, will be having lots of prayer for your pastor. You know, even if just, uh, even if 25% of you prayed once a week for him, that would make a massive difference in this church in five years. Praying for him just on a Sunday before you come here, that God would, would bless him and anoint him and help him. What a difference that would make. I wonder if you'd be willing to be one of those people. Let me pray. Father, help us. Um, Jesus, we remember um, what, you, what you said in Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we ask. Are we... Uh, some here may not know you at all. I pray that today they would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and realize that their sins can be completely forgiven. They can leave here today completely forgiven of everything they've ever done. Be right with God and be given the Spirit of God to help them. And for those who have already done that, Lord, we ask that you would, you would fill us, that we wouldn't be just indwelt by the Spirit, we'd be filled with the Spirit, that, that we would be directed. It says in Galatians, keep in step with the Spirit. We'd actually walk, we'd make our decisions, and we'd go out in the workplace, we'd, we'd, we'd think differently. We'd, we'd be directed in our relationships with our husband or wife or, or friends or kids or neighbors, that what we're looking at, what we're going to look at later on tonight when we turn on, on the television or, or the internet or look at our phone, or that we'd be directed by, by the Spirit. Or we ask for that. Give the Holy Spirit to us, to fill us. That somehow, even though we're, we're, we're very weak, I often think of how it just takes a little match a little cigarette can light a whole forest fire. It doesn't take a lot of fire to make a lot of fire. It just takes a little bit of fire to make a lot of fire. 
Lord, just give us a little bit of fire. And then we'll watch you work, watch it catch in other lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.